Well, we've been, we've been in a series called Devotion, and uh, we started it four weeks ago. It's been part of this Advent series for us, and this idea of devotion was really questioning and wondering, you know, what do we love? What shapes our love? And um, that's partly why we included this in Advent, because one of the Advent words is love. And, um, and though we didn't take the approach of what it means to necessarily love others in this series, we wanted to explore the, the, the broader idea of worship. Last week I ended quoting a 4th century church leader, and his name was Augustine. And Augustine uh, had an interesting journey in his life, and uh, we reflected a little bit just at the end of last gathering, as I think about his journey and what describes um, his life is just incredible because he discovered in his life, before he came to know Jesus, he discovered that what he loved wasn't what his soul longed for. He discovered that what he loved was not what his soul actually longed for. And he began to pursue God's love. He discovered that he loved the wrong things. And I, I thought, as I think about his life pre-discovering the goodness of God, I think about our lives, you know, as we come to discover at times, have we loved the wrong things or are we loving the wrong things? And we've explored these questions in our series. And if you've just joined us today for the first time, uh, the last three weeks are on our website, on our podcast, on iTunes, and it'd be great for you to go back and listen to that when you get a chance. Um, and, And I think about that for ourselves, though. You know, have we loved the wrong things? And are we at times seeing our love shaped by other things to love the wrong things? But for Augustine, all that changed when he met Jesus. Not just overnight, not some miracle pill, not some kind of like overnight transformation, but he encountered Jesus in a profound way. And he said these words, one of his most famous words, he says, he said, you have made us, talking to God, you, God, have made us for yourself and your heart, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He came to this awareness, this acknowledgement that God has made us for himself and that our hearts, in fact, are restless until they rest in him. That, that we don't discover the sense of who we fully are and what we're made for until our hearts actually rest in God. And think about that phrase, like, who says that? Who, who would express their life or their heart that way. Have you ever had a deep conversation with someone at work and have they echoed something like this? I I think when I think about our culture and maybe the relationships we have and even in our own lives, probably we will find ourselves saying, I need this or I need that or this is what my life uh, will have. If, If I find this, I'll find meaning. But Augustine said something that he discovered something so beautiful in God that he realized my heart was restless until I found rest in him. And he ended up devoting his life to a life of worship. He discovered that God is worth worshiping. He discovered that God is worth worshiping, that God is worth giving his whole life attention to. That's a pretty high view of God. I was thinking about this toy that came out. Um, it's not really a toy, but a few years ago. Everybody, anybody have an elf on the shelf at home? No, and uh, I don't know. It's kind of creepy to me. I don't know how people. 
But some people really love it and it's cool. But he, he sits there, right? This elf on the shelf. You can buy this, this little doll and, uh, and he just, you put him somewhere in your house. And I think at night you kind of move him around and then pretend that he's done something. And so when people wake up in the morning, they're like, oh, the elf on the shelf did this. And, but he just sits there looking at you, creepy. And he has really no authority. He has no influence. Um, he kind of just sits on your shelf. And I, I wondered, I just thought, I wonder if sometimes we kind of view Jesus like that. I wonder if sometimes we view Jesus as the elf on the shelf in our house. You know, there's a place for him in my home. We take him out during the holidays. We pay attention to him, uh, you know, during the season. I want my kids to know he's watching like the elf on the shelf. I want, I want them to know like somebody's there. But maybe that's, that's the extent of the lordship of Jesus for us and what it means to love him and serve him and worship him. We don't worship a Jesus who just sits on the shelf. That's not who Jesus is. That's not who God is. And so I want to I end our series today thinking about the idea that we serve a God who, who, who invites us to worship him. He's worth worshiping, to give our whole lives to. But what does that look like? What does that devotion look like? Because we've, we've asked more questions in this series. But today I want to ask and, and kind of unpack a bit, what does a life of devotion look like? Where do we go from here? Because we've asked the question like, first, what do you love? And then what shapes your love? What are the rival liturgies in our culture that shape what we love? Last week, the challenge was, let's determine what shapes our love. Don't leave it to chance. And we talked about our worship and our liturgy and our, our formation to shape what we love, fueled by God's story. But I want to throw this line out, that if we're going to live a life of devotion, eventually we're going to have to live for what we love. That you would live for what you love. That you don't just say you love something, that we don't just say we love God, but that we live for what we love or we live for what actually God loves. And when I say that phrase, I'm going to assume something. I'm going to even presume something that I'm going to presume that your love is shaped by God, that what you love is being shaped by God, that you're here because you want God to shape what you love. That, that there's part of you that says, yes, God, help me to discern the rival liturgies in, around me. That part of your heart says, I want to determine to let worship that's fueled by God's story to shape what I love. And, and therefore, I want to say, then are you going to live, if that's true of you and me, are we going to live for what we love? If, love, if God is the center of our love. In other words, are we going to live a life of devotion and worship? Jesse had read for us at the beginning, Romans chapter 11 and 12. And there's, there's a, a phrase that the Apostle Paul shares at the beginning of chapter 12 as the, this, this letter to the Roman church takes a shift. And he says this amazing phrase. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is such a huge phrase right here. Such a huge sentence in this part of the scriptures. And Paul's urging them, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and here's this phrase, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just think that word offer for a second. To worship is to offer. To worship is to pay attention to. To worship is to offer surrender to give your worth to something. 
It's voluntary. You're voluntarily giving yourself to something. In fact, the word even here, like as a living sacrifice, gives you this image of, of an altar and a sacrifice on an altar. It's, it's as though you're laying yourself on an altar. It's that idea of sacrifice. Now that sounds like death. And traditionally it is. But it's strange because we read a living sacrifice. Paul doesn't say, offer your bodies as a sacrifice to the Lord. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, the death part is that we die to sin. We die to our sinful nature. We die to the rebellious direction that our lives often will turn towards without God. We want to die to that. Then Paul says, offer your life, right? A living sacrifice. When he says that, it's coming up, something that's coming alive in you. Something that's coming alive in me. Something that's bursting out life in unexpected ways as we die to ourselves and let Jesus live and rule. So when we surrender ourselves fully to God and let sin die at the altar, something brand new grows in us. And that's why Paul can say, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice because it's a life that's alive. It's something that only God can make possible. But, but this, this word, offer, that's the ultimate word for worship. Think about that. That's the ultimate act of worship. And this, your, that word bodies would be like saying my whole self. It's not literally my body. It's not put your body literally on an altar. It's offer your full self to God. Because ultimate worship is giving your whole self to God. In sense, you're saying, I'm going to live for what I love. Presuming that God is what you love. I'm going to live for what I love. N.T. Wright says this, uh, when he talks about this text, he says, Christianity never begins with a set of rules. Though they do help us moving forward, but then he says this, it begins in the glad self-offering of one's whole self to the God whose mercy has come all the way to meet us in our rebellion, sin, and death. The glad self-offering of one's whole self. And why do we do that? Because God's done something for us. In his infinite love, he's been merciful towards us. He's done something for us. In fact, when Paul starts chapter 12, he says, therefore, offer your lives as living sacrifices. What he's saying is, if, you would, if we had the time to read chapter 1 to 11... We would get a sense to to read about all God's plan for humanity, everything he's done in Jesus Christ, all the amazing things that express God's love, what he's done to reconcile humanity to himself and to other people. And Paul comes to the end of that and says, therefore, since this is true, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. So life, a life of devotion to God is voluntary. We offer it. You offer it. I offer it. No one can force you to worship God. God doesn't coerce your worship. We offer ourselves to him. It's a response because of what he's already done for us. And it requires our whole self. In fact, the word holy in this text, when Paul says yourself that's holy and pleasing to the Lord, that word holy is set apart. It's saying your life has a specific purpose in Christ as a worship to God. That's a life of devotion. But I want to get practical a little bit because what, so, so, we, so we live for what we love. What does that mean? And I want to just change a word. And I want to say we live into what we love. 
We live into what we love. In other words, we create a life around loving God. When we live into something, it means that we say, yes, we love this, but now we're going to tangibly, actively live into what that means. It's going to mean something to me every day. It's going to mean something to me in my actions and my decisions and my sacrifices and my checkbook and my calendar. I'm going to live into what I love. And presumably, if what we love is God, we're going to live into what it means to worship him. See, what what God has done for us can never be earned. Let's just kind of clear that, right? What God has done for you and me, sending Jesus the incarnation of God moving into the neighborhood through Jesus Christ and then Jesus eventually dying on the cross and resurrecting. What God has done for us, we could never earn. That's for sure. None of us actually deserve that in that sense. We could never do something enough to deserve it. He loves us, even in our brokenness. But a life of, this, of devotion never happens without participation. We always are participating with what it means to worship God. So we live into what we love by, by bringing our whole selves to God. We've been using this word devotion, right? And it's not sentimental. The word devotion isn't sentimental. Devotion is practical. Devotion has implications. If I were to tell you guys, my wife is sitting over there and I say, you know, I'm devoted to Franca as she's my wife. I'm devoted to her. And, and then I say, you know, the, the devotion I have for my wife has very little to do with with the ring on my finger or the marriage certificate I have kind of tucked away in my office. And if Franca says, Dave, are you devoted to me? And I'm like, Franca, see this ring? <laughs> this is my devotion to you. And I say, Franca, let me, let's go to the office. Let's pull out. Let's, I'm going to like take out the marriage certificate we got from the government. Can't you tell that I'm devoted to you? And my wife is like, Dave, just shut up. What are you talking about? Um, she, she won't say it that way, but she would, because we know devotion isn't a symbol. Devotion isn't sentimental. Devotion isn't something on a piece of paper. Devotion would be everyday life and caring and concern and action and sacrifice and service and encouragement and listening and enjoyment and conversation. In fact, there's some ways that if I measure my devotion to my wife and kids or to others, yes, you could look at me and say, you can measure me on that in a sense like, how is David really expressing his devotion? Because devotion isn't expressed in sentimentality, in, in, in sentiments. It's not sentimental. My devotion grows and it's expressed with every tangible action. And Paul sees this and he writes about this as, as we walk through this text a little bit. He sees that devotion grows as we live into what we worship. Not just loving something. Not just saying I live for it, but actually living into it. And he, there's two things I just want to highlight. The first thing is this. He talks about this. He says, he says don't be conformed anymore to the patterns of this world. And then he, he, he shifts. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will. So Paul talks about this transformation that happens in our minds as we start to follow Jesus, that our worship, our devotion actually gets lived out. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that God plants something like, he doesn't change your brain. But we start to wrestle with God's story and the scriptures and we read and understand and let God start to shape what we love through his word and through his story. And then when our, as our minds are transformed, what that means is I start to actually think and wrestle and say, what does my devotion to God look like at work? 
What does my devotion to God look like with my kids, with my neighbors? What does devotion to God look like as I'm making this financial decision? How does my whole life... And so as my, my mind being renewed means that my mind starts to be influenced and shaped by God's story, that my decisions start to reflect the life of worship. I can't, void th- I can't separate thinking from that. I have to think through that. And Paul says that one of the ways we live into what we love is that we feed our mind with God's story and we let God's story transform our mind. And then our decisions start to follow. We start to feed our minds with God's story and then God's story starts to work in our minds and we start to see things differently and make decisions differently. That's partly how we live into what we love. Another way we do that is Paul talks about these different gifts. It's amazing that as he, he moves about this, this whole idea, oh, let your lives be a life of worship, right? And, and then let your mind be transformed so you, can, you know, so you can live out God's amazing will. But then right away he says, hey, I want you to know you're a body. You're part of a body. You're part of a group of people. You're part of a community. And that community is, is God's family. And Jesus is the head of that community, and Paul starts to kind of unpack that a little bit there. And he says, he says this phrase, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And in this section, he says, hey, just like a body, we all have different parts. And he actually connects our, our, our different, uh, our, like how, how we're different within the body of Christ and how we contribute to the body of Christ with worship. He actually expands our understanding of worship, that we're going to live into what we love, not just by saying we love it, but actually serving, actually participating, actually sacrificing for one another. He says, you're a body, and each body, there's, there's different body parts. And the fact that I'm connected to the body and that I serve the body, that's actually how I live a life of devotion. We all need that. So you and I, we worship by how we serve the body of Christ and God's mission. I was thinking about like, uh, you know, if I had to dig a hole in my backyard and plant a new tree and uh, you hand me a shovel and you see me, you see me there and I'm thinking I got to build, like dig a big hole. So I take this shovel and I, I start just using my hands, right? I, I kind of push with my hands a little bit and then I start to scrape the ground and I try and get the grass out and you're looking at me and you're like, Dave, what the heck are you doing? Like you're, you have like, you got like half an inch scraped off the ground. Why are you just using your hands to lightly scrape with this shovel? Like put your body into it, right? So, so then I start figuring, oh, okay, great. So now I, I put the shovel in the ground and, and then I kind of lean in and, you know, but I put the ground, I put the shovel and it kind of hits my abs and I'm like, oh gosh, that hurts. That's, and you're like, Dave, that's the wrong body part to use to, you know, to dig this hole. Put, use your foot, Dave. Dave, use your foot. So I take my foot and I put it on the top of the shovel and I push the shovel in. And all of a sudden, I've used like five body parts. My hands, my arms, my back, my abs, my legs, my feet. And I've pushed that shovel into the ground. And all of a sudden, I've accomplished something. And I do that over and over again. And I slowly dig this hole. But it would be so silly just to use one body part. It would be so silly that to say, to, to, to accomplish this, You're just going to use one piece of your body. And that's kind of what Paul is saying. He's saying we're all connected to God's body and we all serve his purpose and his mission and you all have a different gift and you all have a different uh, ability. 
And, and, and we need everybody's devotion to be the body of Christ. And that's actually an expression of worship when we serve one another. So our love is expressed in our connection to Christ's body and your contribution to his mission. In other words, we're not fully devoted to God all by ourselves. We can only be fully devoted to God together. Together. And it's not just what you love, it's what he loves, what God loves. When we're part of the body, we realize, oh, God has a plan. A life of devotion is, fill, is, is fueling what he loves. Here's a, like, a little holistic picture of devotion. And I think it's, when we think about this, we think about our head, our heart, our head, and our hands. You think like, how am I going to live this life of devotion? How am I going to express this? And it really, it's all of us, right? Paul says, offer your bodies, your whole self. Well, that's your heart, your head, and your hands. And so the practices with each of those, you can't just feel love for God. You can't just think love and devotion. You can't just serve love and devotion. It's all together. So practices like generous giving is an act of devotion. When we give of our finances to God's mission. That's an act of worship. When we sacrificially serve the body of Christ or one another, that's an act of devotion. When we open our homes in hospitality for one another or even for others, and and we say, as a body of Christ, we're going to be a blessing, that's an act of devotion. When people set up chairs this morning and salted and salted the way and, and made sure that there was a, you know, a carpet out there so people wouldn't slip. That's a, that was an act of devotion. As, as the kids got together this morning and people organized that and put that together so there could be a song of worship, they got, that was an act of devotion. And so these are practices we do. But then they work hand in hand with practices like reading scripture. Because reading scripture fuels the story in our life and it, and it transforms our mind. It works with prayer and hand in hand with prayer and worship, with coming together as a body of Christ, with taking communion together. All these pieces, these practices and these spiritual practices, they work together because a life of devotion is inside and outside. A life of devotion is inside and outside. And these practices, they take time to love. They take time. You know, we say, live for what you love, live into what you love. How many times have you, have you fully, fully believed that you need something in your life and you're starting to love it and you even say, I'm going to live for that. And then as you start to live into that, you're like, I don't know how much I love it. I know it's important. And you realize only over time will this practice become part of who you are. Eventually, though, something beautiful happens. And you begin to love what you're living. You begin to love what you're living. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a gym that opened up near my house. And so it was like a great price. And so I said, hey, let's join. I love a great deal. And it was just after New Year's Day, right? So they offer you everything like almost for nothing. Come, just come use the gym almost for free, basically. But it was, it was a great price. So I, I joined it. And you know what? I realized... I would realize that I really don't like the gym. After two, three months, I wanted to just be outside. I was like waiting to walk and run or bike or cut the grass or do some, some landscaping and like do some activity outside. And, and like, you know, two, three months in, I'm like, okay, March is here, April, you know, beginning of April. I hate this thing. I'm, let, me, let me cancel before they, you know, hit me with the annual maintenance fee or something, right? So, uh, I, sorry, I think about that sometimes. So, here's, so, so here we are. So then I did that for two, three years. 
And I would just kind of go for three months, cancel my membership, can't wait to get outside. And this last spring, something weird happened. I actually liked the gym. I was like, I think I like coming here. And it's April and May, and there's something that I still like about it. And, and I thought I would never like it. I knew I loved to do it for a certain reason. And then I realized it started to grow in me and started to actually mesh with who I was and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to be healthier. And I realized, oh, I'm actually growing into this. And even though I wanted to be outside and I did do stuff outside, I said, you know what, I'm going to stick with this membership. And I don't, didn't go as often in the summer, but I, I didn't cancel because I thought, I like this. Something actually started to happen. When I would go to the gym, I'd leave my phone in my locker. And I loved it. For one hour, I didn't touch my phone. I know my family are thinking, why don't you just do that at home? Just don't touch your phone for an hour. But, but when you get, you know, you kind of close it, put it away, and it's like, there's this one hour, nothing hap- like nothing's happening in the world. And I started to love that and like that, for that in that moment. And it, then here's the shift that takes place. You begin to love what you live for. You're not just living for what you love. You're not just living into what you love. You start to love what you live for. You start to love what you're living. And that's what Paul says. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we come to a close. That's what Paul says when he says, at some point, as your mind starts to be transformed, and as you start to serve the body of Christ, Paul says this. He says, you will be able to discern God's will for your life. You'll be able to test and approve and affirm God's loving and pleasing will for your life. In other words, this is what happens. At some point in the living, in the practices, in, in the living, in living for what you love and living into what you love, this shift takes place. And the shift that takes place is you start to recognize, you say, you start to love what God loves. You start to be passionate about what God's passionate about. You start to care deeply about what God cares for. You start to feel burdened for what God feels burdened about. You start to look at some of the issues in your neighborhood around the world. You're like, I didn't know I cared about that. And something's happening in me as, I start, as I've been living for what I love, as I'm living into what I love. And then this shift start to take, starts to take place. And you start to actually long for the practices that shape your loves. You don't just do them, you actually long for them. And your living and your loving kind of get yoked together like scrambled eggs. It's like, oh, I like doing, I love, I love God and I love these practices and I love pursuing this. And they start to mesh together and they start to work together hand in hand. And when you arrive there, it's so beautiful because serving isn't seen as a duty, it's seen as a joy and tithing isn't seen as a goal it's seen as a way of life and listening to scripture isn't education or just getting knowledge it's energizing and joyful and something happens in you and God's will doesn't feel like I'm missing out on anything it feels like a promotion in life like I get to do God's will and my whole life will be given over to him and you can tell the difference you can tell the difference when someone's life is devoted. You can tell the difference. You guys can start as we, as we move into just a moment of worship. You can tell the difference. I'm, I know you can. You, you, there are people you know around you and you can identify if their lives are devoted to the Lord in a way that comes from the inside out. You can tell when people are living for what they love 
are living into what they love and you can tell when people are loving what they live for. You can see the difference. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be seasons in life where, where it might feel like a roller coaster. It, might not, it doesn't mean that there's going to be moments when you're like, I got to shift up my spiritual disciplines a, li- a little bit because this is getting too familiar. So let me try this. It doesn't mean that you might not serve in a different way or a different capacity and say, you know, like, hey, I've served in this area and I, I think, you know, I'd like to serve in a different area. It doesn't mean that God won't grow your heart and, and maybe ch- even, even prompt you to, to, to be burdened about something else. That's an ongoing process, but there's a difference when you live a life of devotion compared to just a life not of devotion. And Paul uses these two words, or this word twice in this, in this passage. He uses the word pleasing, that we would discover God's good and pleasing will and that we would live a life pleasing to him. And that word is so amazing because when you live a life that is pleasing for someone, you don't ju- you know, I, I've done that before. I tell like my daughter Julia, let's, we'll hang out tonight. We'll just watch TV, whatever you want. But then when the remote's in my hand, I'm like, I don't want to watch that show, Julia. Let's watch this show. I didn't do what was pleasing to her. I did what was pleasing to me, right? But a life of devotion is saying, Lord, my life, I want to live my life. What's, what, what are you pleased with? I want to live my life for you. So we're coming to the end of the year. And the new year's starting. And, and my challenge to you is, do you want to live a life of devotion? Wholly devoted to the Lord. Bill Hybels used to say this. He used to say, 90% devotion is 10% too little. 90% devotion is 10% too little. Now, don't see that as, as a goal or a hill to climb. But see it as a sense of like, Lord, I want to give my life fully over to you. I want the newness of your life in Jesus to burst in unexpected ways in my life that I'll give my life fully to you. The team is going to lead us in a song called Christ is My Everything. I ask you to stand as we close. Um, and I know that we're shifting into Christmas this week as we end Advent and we're going to celebrate Christmas together on Friday. Um, but really, Christmas is, is really the idea of Christmas is all year round, right? Jesus is our Lord and Savior. God sent him to this world so we would know a life with him and the joy of what it means, of what it means, like Augustine said and like we read in Paul and like you've experienced in your life, a life fully given over to him. There's something so wonderful about that that our hearts are restless until they rest in him. So I want to end today um, with this song, just lifting up the name of Jesus. And, and um, so let, let's pray and then sing this song together. And as I pray, um, I'll give you just, just a few moments in your own heart to just give yourself over to him. Give yourself over to him. Let's do that. Maybe some of you here are just listening, kind of observing from the outside, just coming in today as a guest. And I'd encourage you, if that's where you're at today and you're like, I'm not ready for a whole life of devotion, um, that's okay. Maybe your next step today is, Lord, Lord, show me who you are in a fresh way. Just give me a spark in my heart and my mind and my life. I want to, there's something, maybe you're telling him, there's something in you that I long for. I, I don't even know how to articulate it, but help me see it. Maybe that's your first step today. But I also know for many of us, we need to just come before him and say, Lord, I want my life to be fully, fully devoted to you. 
take a moment and just share that with him. Father, in this moment, you know exactly what we need to hear from you. You know exactly the next step in our journey with you. Lord, I would even pray against um, maybe us feeling like we, we need to do this in a way somebody else does it, how they express their devotion. Lord, that's not what this is about. And I pray that you just give us freedom Enjoy in this moment to, to come to you and to offer ourselves, our lives, our bodies, our whole self. It's a living sacrifice to you. Lord, please show us what that means tomorrow and Tuesday and this week. Show us what that means at work and at home and with friends, with neighbors, with family. Show us what that means in our finances. Show us what that means with the gifts and skills you've given us. Where we, how we can serve one another and serve your mission and the body of Christ. Show us what that means in our everyday life, God. Show us how we particularly need to grow in, love, in, in living out our love for you. Lord, give us the courage and conviction to live into these practices, ways of life spiritual disciplines so we can live into our love for you God Lord I pray even this week as some people step out in this and pause for prayer or to reflect on scripture or maybe making a decision in how they can serve or how they can give in in different ways or increased ways God I pray that you would just give, give them a sense of joy and blessing in that step of obedience and Lord may we all come to this amazing place where we can love what love living for you love living for you, a life of devotion. May we be a church that reflects that, where we're fully devoted to you, 100%. God, I confess anything in my own life that hinders that, any obstacles, any things I'm aware of and not aware of, God, just bring that before you. I long to live fully devoted to you. Amen. And we end singing how you are enough for us. You are everything. Amen.